Welcome to the Amber Knight Superhero Podcast with Simo Suahemo. This show is your backstage pass to discussions with world-class influencers in the field of health, nutrition, and high performance. We bring you the selected tips and insights that you can use to upgrade your life and become unstoppable. So, Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Simo. So uh, uh, you're, an, you're a medical doctor with some experience in, uh, in uh, research when it comes to genetics, nutrigenomics. Mm. So we often get asked, and uh, it's, a, it's been a common topic, lately there's been a lot of discussion about the comparison between synthetic meal replacements and synthetic mm. foods and vitamin supplements, for example, compared to real food. So from a medical perspective, what's, mm. what's so different about those two? So I always postulate that you should see food as a kind of medicine. And if you look at plant-based foods, you will find in those plants compounds which are called plant hormetic compounds. And those plant hormetic compounds, which our listeners might know as polyphenols or flavonoids, are actually really what is the beneficial compound inside plants and which are making us more healthier. And because... I mean, you will find the, the micronutrients, which are mainly in the vitamins, you will find those in vitamins, but in supplements, you will but you also will find them in, in real food. But the difference here is really about those other compounds, which makes the differences here. And those, uh, those uh, hormetic compounds are actually, the interesting thing is, and it's quite a paradox, that they're actually slightly toxic because they're supposed to be fighting off some, um, let's say, insects or parasites, for, for the plants in order to defend themselves. But if a, a human being is consuming those slightly toxic compounds, it actually triggers certain cell responses. So it puts the cell in a state of stress. And by that, it will activate certain molecular pathways, which are in, in return will be beneficial for our well-being. And so here, the magic happens, basically. Interesting. So it's a, it's a maybe a form of anti-fragility that, that, a, that a small stress yeah. actually, actually makes us stronger and makes, makes us more us, healthier. Yeah. Breakthrough walls. Be a superhero. Is this something that's found in, in, the, uh, in the whole of the plant kingdom, like all of the plant-based foods that we eat? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, of course, we find we will find different hormetic compounds or different systems of hormesis. But um, in general, I would say like um, all the plants, they do have some sort of a defending mechanism. Yeah. And um, for example, you if you look at kale, for example, you will have something called the isothiocyanates. And those are also regarded as being a hormetic compound. And they do have those beneficial effects I was just later for, just mentioned here. And uh, just uh, to dive a bit deeper here, so those isothiocyanates, they are able to really alter gene expression. So they might turn off and turn off certain genes. So they might turn off genes which are actually pro-cancerogenic. Right. But they must also turn on tumor suppressor genes simultaneously. So that's why you, in there, in that sense, you will have a benefit, a benefit regarding cancer. And so this is really, it really comes down to those, those compounds which you will not find in artificial supplements. Very interesting. So our, uh, you mentioned kale. Mm. Uh, are some foods uh, richer mm. in these uh, beneficial, beneficial uh, uh, compounds than others? Mm. 
I mean, there are some research showing that actually it also depends on this on the way how you farm the the plants or the fruits in order like the, the levels and the in order for them to develop certain levels of those um, beneficial compounds. It really depends on the kind of soil the plant is getting, and by that the levels of uh, hormetic compounds or also antioxidants and other um, beneficial compounds will change. And the levels are different, obviously. So, is there a difference between yeah. industrial agriculture versus organic versus wild? Versus there, there are studies out there which show a clear difference. Absolutely, yes. And and how does that? How, how do the differences manifest? Uh, what what are the differences here? Say, uh, industrially farmed produce versus organic versus wild mm. harvest. So, what are the uh, what are the differences? Are there any like main types yeah. of differences between? Organic, non-organic agriculture, uh, wild uh, harvested plants are, are are there are there some mm. some common themes there? I mean, organic organic um, growing your plants organically, of course, has certain advantages, especially in respect to sustainability. But also, the, if you look at um, the agriculture or like large scale agriculture, then those methods are getting better and better every day. So by that, they're actually achieving high levels of antioxidants and high levels of hormetic compounds inside the plant by really refining those mecha or those processes of growing the, the plants, basically. Okay, uh, that's that's a, a, a very positive signal in, in something that's yeah. often been considered as inferior that it actually comes down to the soil and, and the growing techniques and not necessarily some some certain kind of label that is that is a guarantee of, of the nutrient density. Very interesting. Is there something that people often make big mistakes in when they when they think about uh, like uh, compiling their nutrition out of you know, like uh, mainly going uh, going for for a, uh, on a nutrient per nutrient scale. For example, thinking about I have to get my daily vitamins. Either I eat bowl of salad or go for a multivitamin pill. Mm. Like like uh, what are what are some of the main misconceptions that you see uh, people who are not educated in this in this topic make? Mm. It is really about for a lot of people they try to see a supplement as really a substitute for substituting certain deficiencies inside their their daily diet. So that should be not the approach you should follow. You should like still make sure you get a proper diet and then additionally get if you want and if you still think you might high you might have higher higher requirements regarding a certain a certain um, nutrient or whatever then you can think of supplementing that of of course i mean it also depends on the kind of diet you're living i mean if you if you're going full vegan of course it would make sense actually to supplement for example dha and epa and omega 3s because the ala might not be sufficient for you what the what you're getting out of the, the vegan diet so um supplements of b12 for example for example b12 would be another would be another um would be another interesting compound you should of course definitely look into and um but i mean the the, the list goes on here so we just, for example if you look at um this uh, creatinine for example it is showing that if, if vegans or vegetarians taking creatinine um on a daily basis they will have significantly improved their cognitive function because they will not get that from their diet i mean they're basically missing out on that of course it's not an essential compound i mean you will you will survive without taking in creatinine so the let's restart here. So it actually makes sense also to take in creatine because it was showing in a lot of, in, in different studies that vegans or vegetarians, which are 
um, increasing their intake in creatine, we're also increasing their cognitive functions because they're not getting any creatine with their daily, di- their daily diet because they're not consuming any meat-based products. So, of course, that compound creatine is not an essential or vital in order to survive, but still it might boost certain <laughs> capabilities of your body. Yeah. Uh, so uh, creatine supplementation uh, yeah. for someone on a vegan diet uh, or, or, uh, or uh, even a um, plant-based diet with, mm. with uh, a limited amount of meat and animal mm. products. So that could yield some cognitive benefits? Yes, that's what studies, studies are showing. Yes. Very interesting. Yeah. I think creatine has, has uh, ever since I think the late 70s yeah. or 80s been like one of the most researched it is compounds one of the research, in, in bodybuilding. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, I, I think I don't think that that, that the uh, popular opinion about creatine is as much linked to also the cognitive benefits that we're seeing. Not really, no. But um, I think this, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, creatine is certainly regarded as one of the safest, safest substances you can consume, basically as a supplement. And because, as you mentioned, it's quite well researched. A lot of researches have been done about that, and. The link between cognitive function, creatine, yeah, it's a rather new one, I would say. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Ambronite Superhero Podcast. Be unstoppable. Uh, what, what are some of the other uh, aspects when you think about uh, where you get your food from, plant-based mm. versus other sources, in terms of, for example, bioavailability, mm. uh, your body's capability of assimilating uh, the, the nutrients in that and so forth? So for someone who is looking to uh, hit all their nutritional needs and their bases, mm. uh, like uh, w- which techniques do you see that there that are working? Mm. I'm going to always claim that consuming whole food is basically really a safe bet to comprehensively cover all your nutritional needs. So can you uh, give an example of a fruit uh, mm. that that, uh, that has these hormetic compounds? Mm. I think in Finland, the bilberries are quite popular, yeah? And also the blueberries, which are similar, right? And so they are showing high levels of anthocyanins. And those anthocyanins are actually also regarded as hormetic compounds, which might help in Alzheimer prevention because of triggering certain cellular responses and activating certain gene expression pathways. And that's pretty interesting. So there was just, I think, a study done five years ago that was showing that if you feed mice a regular diet of of bilberries or blueberries, they will actually reverse the symptoms of, uh, of Alzheimer's because the mice were engineered to have Alzheimer's. So you could basically completely reverse the symptoms. It's impressive. Just by consuming bilberries or blueberries. Very impressive. Yeah. So, so uh, mice with Alzheimer's can get their get their cognitive functions restored, or even yeah. even was it was it the study made it in, in, in a fashion that showed that that the Alzheimer development is actually stopped or even reversed? Reversed. It was wow. all about reversed. That's yeah, intense. They were behaving like uh, mice, which were not affected at all. Yeah. And we're talking about a wild berry that grows, yeah. you know, like uh, pretty pretty much. Pretty much uh, wild in the in the forest, or, or actually grows wild in the forest. Yeah. That's very impressive. What are some other fruit or vegetables that are mm. that are uh, especially heavily researched in, in in a similar fashion? I mean, I would, I would also like to give the example of in general green leaves. I mean, might sound quite simple, and um, why not just consume a little bit more salad? But of course, people sometimes they don't really do that. And if you look at green leaves, you will have inside the leaf which makes it actually green. 
is the chlorophyll, right? And the chlorophyll molecule inside has a lot of, has a central magnesium ion. And that magnesium really helps you also for your body functions because in the, our Western diets, or if you look at, at the American or, Euro, American or European standard diet, uh, we do have magnesium deficiencies. And by, for example, eating more green leaves, uh, we basically counter, can counteract those deficiencies and by that supporting different um, subsystems in our bodies, which are dependent on magnesium. Right. How about digestion? Uh, mm. what, what are, what are the uh, aspects of digestion when it comes to plant-based foods? Mm. I think yesterday we touched upon the microbiome, right? Yes. So here again, things like dietary fiber is certainly a very important compound to consume. So when it comes to a plant-based diet, a fully plant-based diet, uh, what are the studies showing us? Studies are showing us that people on a vegan or also to some extent on a vegetarian diet show lower BMIs, so have a lower risk actually to develop obesity. And also our listeners have to keep in mind that if you become obese, it will also change your um, gene expression. And that's... um, that's pretty significant because so the nutrients and also the the amount of fat basically you store in your inside your bodies alter the kind of uh, gene alter your epigenetics alter your gene expression alter the way genes are silenced alter how genes are turned off and on so and an additional fact which is highly interesting is that those epigenetic markers actually can pass that on to your children to your children to your children so what you eat today is passed on to your children. Actually, the information, yes. The information. Yeah. This is, the this epigenetic is, markers this is pretty are, intense. They are passed on. So that might be also an explanation for why. Um, I mean, it's just one explanation out of many explanations why actually uh, children of obesity parents are also become obese, yeah, or also develop chronic diseases earlier like type 2 diabetes because they have a change in their epigenetic, uh, in their epigenetic markers, which might be a leading cause. I'm not sure if, if people are aware that uh, on, on a general level that their own choices, their own lifestyle choices, their own food choices, whether or not you follow a plant-based diet, whether or not you make otherwise wise choices on what you eat are actually affecting the health of your children, of, mm. of even, even the children that, that are, you know, like, and your children might be bearing that for, mm. for uh, their, their entire lifetime. So I think that's, that's something interesting that, that has not been on, on, a, on a public radar for that long of a time. How long have we known this? How, how long has this been the hmm. topic of research? So, Seymour, well, that was a quite interesting question here because I would say the state of research just a decade ago or two decades ago was um, that the idea basically was that in the formation of the egg or the sperm, we the body comes up with a clean um, slate of paper here and the epigenetic information was completely removed basically. So everyone yeah. would, uh, as they're born, uh, everyone would have a clean slate, so to speak. Actually, exactly, yes. Yeah. But that's not true. So just subsequent research was showing that this is not the case here. So we are actually passing on our epigenetic markers and our epigenetic differences to our children. Ambronite Superhero Podcast. Live life to the fullest. So there are no clean slates. You already have, you, you already kind of, you know, like are, have inherited uh, some some of your some of your uh, what would you call that actually is that is that would you call that you have inherited some of 
some of the uh, expressions or you've inherited some of the uh, not mm. not only the DNA but how how it's active how how certain aspects of it are activated or? so as you know you get a copy for, from your mother and you get a copy of your father of your DNA but also additionally to your DNA code you also receive those epigenetic markers which epigenetic are markers. which are right. on top of the DNA just think of it as another layer on top of your DNA so which so a certain part of your DNA might be, for example, methylated. By that, it is silenced. So those that part is not going to be expressed and not encoded into a protein, for example. So that's the idea behind epigenetic um, expression. Yes. Right. So your parents give you the code, which is yeah. the DNA, but they also leave behind them some yeah. of the switches that they have themselves turned on or off. Exactly. That's like this. I wonder. I wonder if that is like in in a it, through, throughout human history, if that has served some kind of a purpose of adaptation of, of you know like passing on some of your own adaptation from your environment and mm. uh, to your children. For example, in in uh, in uh, nomadic societies or hunter gatherer societies who have been changing their environment during their lifetime, and, and whether or not that has you know, like served some kind of a survival purpose of giving. Mm giving uh, these switches or some of those switches also to your to your uh, descendants or to your kids. Um, yes, I mean, there have been several hypotheses that also the epi- that you are passing on your epigenetic markers are basically also a form of evolution, yeah? So that you pass on those those things you basically accumulate during your lifetime to your children so they have a, li- a higher chance to survive, basically, in that kind of a m- environment you were basically living. So it is a sort of also evolutionary process, or at least that's a hypothesis. Right. So if, you, if and when you want to give your kids the best possible epigenetic switches or, or leave leave them with the with the with the best chance of a, of a living a healthy life then uh, going for plant-based food seems to make sense according to the research absolutely and of course always regular exercise regular exercise you can't that's, remove that from that's from another the, thing you also can pass on yes yeah but also our listeners have to be aware of the fact i mean not all epigenetic markers are be- passed on it's just um i would say a certain part of them, yeah. So still, there will there is a certain uh, certain amount of removal of those epigenetic markers, but still a, a part of them we are just passing on, basically. So, uh, do we have any any uh, uh, conclusive research evidence on people who are who are uh, making making the change from, say, traditional uh, Western diet, mm. a typical Western diet, who probably want to lose weight, mm. want to obtain a better health improve their body composition, going for uh, plant-based foods. Yes. What are we seeing there? I mean, we actually, we're seeing a lot, and that's why it's always I'm surprised that it's so ignored by, let's say, the, the medical establishment, that we are able, just by, by using diets, that we're able actually really reversing chronic diseases like type 2 diabetes. So there's a lot of evidence out there, a lot of medical literature actually describe, very clearly describe the effects of a healthy diet in order really to reverse those symptoms, reverse those syndromes, um, whatever. So that's that's clearly described. There's just nothing we, we actually should be arguing about. So the evidence is there. It's just for us to accept it and incorporate it into our diets. That's a, that's a great way to conclude this, this talk. Thank you, Christian. <laughs> Thank you, Simon, for having me. It was a great time. Thanks for listening to the Amber Knight Superhero Podcast. Please check out the links, show notes, and other episodes at ambronite.com slash podcast. That's A-M-B-R-O-N-I-T-E dot com slash podcast. Thanks again, and catch you in the next episode.